Would you give a warm Harrison Faith Church welcome to my friend, Pastor Eddie Nesby. Come on, let's give God some glory this Come on, let's give God some glory this morning. Come on, we could do better than that. Come on, let's give God some glory this morning. God, we love you. God, you're good. Hey, what a joy it is to be with you this morning. Um, it's an honor for me um, to preach to your students, but also to have an opportunity to, to be in your pulpit. I know how important as senior pastors it is to to shepherd your flock, especially for the microphone, and I don't take this lightly, and, and I wanted to say I honor you. I appreciate you for allowing me to be here. It's an honor to me to serve your young people, and can we honor your pastors, Pastor Scott and Julie, this morning? Can we make some noise to them? It's a big deal. Thank you. Um, and also, I just want to let you know, you've got some of the best youth pastors in the nation. Um, your... The ministry of this youth ministry is incredibly unique. I get to speak all over the nation, but all of them are different in the same and kind of different ways, and you can kind of categorize each one as you visit, and, and you got them in boxes that you put them in, but this one you can't put in a box. It's unique, and there's something about the soil here, and as I was sitting over there, I felt like the Lord put something in my heart um, for Harrison Faith as a whole. Um, if you know anything about ancient well digging, that they would dig wells, and that well would then facilitate all of the needs of that community. And what would happen is droughts would come, it would dry up the well, and they would move on from that well. And what would happen is, is they would go to different wells, and sometimes the well that they used to use would be forgotten. And that there's a generation that didn't know the labor of their grandparents, that didn't know the labor of their great-grandparents, that did not know the labor of even their parents in their childhood, that they would then discover a well that had been left alone and untapped for a long time. But what happens is fresh water begins to flow through that ancient well again. And that in this house, I've shared conversation with Pastor Caleb, that Harrison Faith was birthed in faith. That this journey or this church was birthed out of an expression of faith to say, God, I want to see lives changed in this city. And I want to let you know, by way of the Holy Spirit, that these young people have begun to tap into an ancient well. And the springs of the Holy Spirit are about to burst open and again resource this area spiritually. There's something in your soil, and I want to let you know they've been tapping in. That you don't have a young people in a generation that will be confused, that will live in chaos, that would be um, lied to because they know what it is to have an expression and experience with the Holy Spirit. They know God. They know that they know that they know God. And because of some of you who are here in the exception or the old days, 
You're the Eli's of a generation that you thought that your time was over, but I want to invite you into this reality. We need Eli's in, the, in this generation. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look up 1 Samuel, where Eli fosters a son that was not his child, but was dedicated to him at an altar to serve the Lord. Hannah was a mother who prayed, and she received her blessing, and she gave it back to the Lord. And there was a man that was not his father that took him in and taught him how to minister before the Lord. Listen to me. You have fruit in your life that youth cannot sustain. There's fruit in your life for those of you who are older in the room, and these are not your children. In fact, you've raised your children, your grandchildren are older, but they need your voice in a generation of how to love God rightly. They, it's not the methodology. It's actually the scriptural foundation of what it is to love God and obey his commands. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? And I felt deeply impressed to share that your time is not over, that God is not finished, that he's about to stir this place again, that his hand is on this place. And what I mean by his hand is that his blessing is about to flow, that his word is about to flow, that his expression is about to flow, and that there are young people from all over this area, not just the city, but this region, that are going to come running to hear the truth of God's word. They are deeply disturbed and hungry. They are hungry. There's a generation that is hungry. We've condemned a generation because they, they've lived wildly. They don't know God, so they've lived wildly, and we've missed a generation with God's expression, but there's a young people who are returning to the wells again. They want to know what this well is because I've seen everything else. I've got the world at my fingertips. And it's left me empty. I want a well that will not run dry. I want to drink of water that will not leave me thirsty. I want to eat from the hand of God and will not leave me with an appetite, but even a greater hunger for the things of God. And I know it would only nourish me. I'm telling you this morning, I'm not even preached yet, that God has something on this place that is unique. And that if you'll lock in and pray just a little bit longer and linger just a little bit longer and then ask God just for a little bit more, he'll fill you. You hear what I'm saying? So I feel like that was the Lord gave to me. And I ain't even appreciate it. Come on, man. Um, I know y'all trying to get up out of here. Uh, I get that. Uh, but let me preach. Uh, my name is Pastor Eddie. He shared with you. I'm from Las Cruces, New Mexico. Originally from Illinois. Yes. And by the way, they do have black people in New Mexico, just like Arkansas. I discovered that. Um, but I have uh, had the joy of serving in ministry. This year would be 20 years. I know I look young. I'm 38. Uh, but I've done this for 20 years. And, and I love students, and I'm always encouraged by students. And so I still serve in this space. I'm also a day-to-day -day youth pastor like Pastor Caleb and the next-gen director. And I brought a friend with me who's my junior high director. I've raised him up in the ministry. His name is Abraham. He's here serving with me this week. Um, and I love what I do, but the greatest thing that I get to do um, is be a father. And, and to be a, a husband. And if you can show a picture of my family, these are a couple years, this is me. Uh, that's me right there, obviously in the big blue. These are my babies right here. The closest to me is Talitha. My middle is Selah. Um, my oldest is Zoe. And that's my wife, Julie. Yes, she's white. I like a little cream in my coffee, somebody. Like a little cream in my coffee. You know what I'm saying? So I'm grateful. Um, 
but can you show the other? I've got a I've got an older picture. Is that one up there? This is this is our personalities. Mama's relaxed and chill. If you see Talitha, my middle child, hands open, that's me and her. That's how we live our lives. Crazy. Um, but I love this picture because it's an expression of God's goodness, which is a part of our story. That if you see the child sitting in the middle, her name is Zoe, which means life. Um, our story is that when we wanted to have children, um, we had a struggle. We had three miscarriages before we had Zoe. And Zoe came to us in a life. And in between Zoe and Talitha, we lost another child. Um, and now we see Talitha, and we named her Talitha Joy because she's full of the expressive life of God, and I love her. And then Selah came right on the heels of Talitha, and Selah is my Sour Patch Kid. She will kick you in the face and then kiss you in the place that she kicks you and tell you she loves you, and you're just like, it's okay. Um, but the reason I share that story of this idea that they are children of our faith is because what we could not accomplish in our own life, uh, come on somebody, what we could not accomplish, but what we put it back into the hands of God and he gave us a harvest of our faith. And this morning, I want to share with you from that idea that what's in your hands that when you hold it doesn't produce much, but when it's in the hands of God, it can produce a whole abundance. This morning, I want to talk to you about what it means to place whatever's in your hands into the hands of God and let him do much more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. I want you to go to the book of John chapter 6, 1 through 14, and I will do my best to get through this this morning because I know y'all hungry like I am, but just like a fat kid in the candy store, I'm going to talk about food this morning, okay? We're going to go to the expression in Scripture where Jesus begins to feed the 5,000. Everybody say 5,000. In John chapter 6, 1 through 14, if you have the Word of God open, will you just follow along with me? And it says this, After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down in his um, sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, "Where are we to buy bread so that they may eat?" This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered, Philip answered him. 200 denarii or two bucks worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. Now one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, and Peter's brother said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Everybody say, what are these for so many people? Well, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place that the men sat down in a number of about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves. Having given them thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up, filled the 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left um, over by those who had eaten. <clears throat> Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this truly is the prophet who's come into the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to receive from you. And we pray that this morning that our, arm, 
our hearts would be open, that our minds would be open, that our spiritual ears would be open to receive what you have for us. And I pray that this morning's word would land where it needs to. For those who've counted themselves out, who thought that they were finished, who thought that they were incapable, who thought that they didn't have much to give, would find out that they had more than enough, not because of what is in their hand, but who they're connected to. And I pray this morning it would be an on-time word and that hearts would be touched, that minds would be encouraged, and lives would be uplifted so that they can walk in the fullness of what you've called us all to, to seek and save the lost, and to love people wildly, and to trust you and to love you above all else. God, we thank you. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said amen. Amen. Give it up for a man on keys this morning. Don't, don't go farther. <laughs> this morning, the title of my message, if you've not already figured it out, it is What's in Your Hands? Everybody say, What's in your hands? I know this big old black man up here yelling this morning. It's a good morning, okay? If you talk back to me, I get through this faster, and I'll preach much better, okay? I promise you that. But if you talk back to me, I get real happy about it. But I want to read and go back to that text. I'm not going to read it, but I want to give you a quick explanation from the Eddie Nesby version. Yes, I've got a version. I like to tell stories about what we see in Scripture because I think this is a fun Scripture to talk about because we see that Jesus has been on a preaching and teaching tour with the fellas. Come on, somebody say amen. God has been doing the, Jesus has been doing the extraordinary. He's been healing people with physical ailments in their body. He's been casting devils and demons out of people. They're beginning to hear the teaching of the kingdom of God. It is new. It is fresh. It is exciting. And in this chaos, they've realized for several days that these people have been totally captivated and they're following him everywhere. Why? Because people want to hear about the good news. They want to see with their own eyes the miracle that have been performed and not only that they want to live in the expression because everybody's got something to receive everybody say amen. amen and in this moment as Jesus begins to see this everybody wants to experience the, the, the greatness of the rabbi here's the issue they're wanting to head back to Jerusalem but before they take their journey Jesus begins to look around and the disciples are like yo check this out these people have been with us for a long time and they're getting real hungry physically you hear what I'm saying like you've ever been out somewhere and your stomach start growling and you go yo I'm ready to eat right now right now and you can feel in this moment the disciples are like yo Jesus you've been preaching and teaching and then Jesus goes yeah 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 but look at check this out I want you to feed them and the disciples like uh uh what, what do you mean he said I want you to take care of them in the scripture it tells us there's about 5,000 men so in ancient texts it was common practice to exclude the women and the children so this isn't just a group of 5,000 men, but they estimate conservatively there could be anywhere between 10 to 20,000 people. And everybody said, what? That's a lot of people. How many people are in the city of Harrison? Right? What? How many? 1,300? 13,000. Could you imagine being there that day and going, you're about to feed all of Harrison, right? This is, this is where they are in this moment. So when the interaction between Jesus and the disciples began to take place, Jesus asked the question, what are we going to feed them? 
Now, the disciples are perplexed, just as you and I would be, because in that moment, I like to think ahead. Pastor Eddie, on his way to the show, would have picked himself up a couple pieces of chicken, a couple slices of bread, and some french fries. And that's for me, Jesus. That's not for them. You know what I'm saying? In this moment, he's going, I I, I don't know what you, you mean. But Jesus already sees the obstacle, and he's already made it up in his mind what he's decided to do. Philip gets asked the question, but Jesus has already begun to think about the miracle that he's about to work through them. Number one point I want to share with you is this. All Jesus was doing is looking for someone to partner up with. One thing you must and will learn as you grow in faith and have a journey to you young people, as you begin to experience faith in Jesus Christ, that when God wants to move in the natural with a supernatural work, he is always looking for someone to partner with him. That he does not want to move in the earth just out of expression of poof, but he's looking for people to step into it with him so he can partner with him to show his glory. He invites us to be a part of the miracle. He takes, he asks us to bring, he brings us in to be part of something much greater that we can accomplish on our own for a couple of reasons. So that you can realize that it wasn't you that did the thing. That you could not do it on your own, but you could only perform it in the power of his presence and who he is. Number two is that you would begin to trust him with the things that you have and that you would begin to see him do more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. Everybody said, amen. Amen. So he's simply asking the question, what is in your hands? But not just what's in your hands, but what's in your hands that I, God, can use. Keep in mind, they have Jesus and his full-blown miraculous power. But in his mind, he's a practical thinker. So his response to the question at hand, his response is, Jesus, we don't have enough. We don't have the means to get the job done. The implication from Philip's response is, we talked about 200 denarius. It sounds like a lot, but it's only two bucks. Either they had two bucks worth of bread from their journeys, or they only had two dollars to go and buy bread. And what we have on hand won't do but per the request or the question that you had, Jesus. What I have in my hands, Jesus, isn't enough for the job at hand. How many of us have said that before? Why try to do what you've asked and we'll just settle in ourselves and just give up before we've had an opportunity to give it a go? It's their problem, Jesus, not mine. I'm afraid I don't fully understand, so God, I really won't try. My heart is there, God. I've got good intentions, but I don't have what it takes or I don't have enough to step into what you've asked. Here's my personal journey. I can't tell you how many times that I've had my own insecurities, my own doubts, my own fears hinder me from making a big decision that I felt like God's placed in my heart. How I've second-guessed the capacity of my ability in my own flesh instead of what God the Father and what he has given to me. I've doubted my ability to be a godly husband and a godly father because I didn't have a good uh, reflection or a good model to follow after. So in my natural ability, I look and go, I don't know that I have what it takes. 
See, I've used my shortcomings. I've used my mind games. I've used everything in the book to disqualify myself from that job promotion or the opportunity set before me because I can see every obstacle. I can, I can tell you about every challenge. I can talk myself out of everything for the, for the sake of feeling like I didn't have enough in my hand to accomplish the task that God has set before me. How many of us self-sabotage? That we often live defeated before we even have an opportunity to defy. We'll sabotage our own reality, not giving a thought to what God can do if we would only simply trust. God is saying, I have more for you. I want to do more through you. But what I'm asking for you to do is will you trust me with the thing that's in your hand? Jesus is asking the question to Philip to test him to see if Philip, with all of the miracles that he had witnessed him do, could see past the obstacle to put it in his trust in Jesus to provide more than the lack of the resource that they were holding in their hand in that moment. But Jesus didn't ask them how much they had, if you pay attention to it. He didn't ask them how much they had. He simply asked, what do we have? What's in your Come on, talk to me this morning. I told you. I preach better when you talk to me. He didn't ask him how much they had. He asked them what did they have in their In our life, Jesus isn't looking for what you don't have because he already knows what you don't have. Jesus isn't asking you what you're not capable of because he knows what you're not capable of. He's looking for you to simply trust him with what you do have and what you can do. Do you follow me? And when we get back to the interaction in scripture, just as Phyllis, Philip uh, finishes his response, another one of Jesus' disciples by the name of Andrew speaks up and says this. Hey, by the way, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. At least he's taking initiative. Hey, Jesus, I'm looking. Ain't a whole lot, but I'm looking, right? That's, some of y'all like, hey, I ain't got it, but I'm going to tell you where it's at. I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to tell you where it's at. You know what I'm saying? This is Andrew. He's saying, I got five bar loaves and, and a small fish, but what are these among so many? What, what can I do with this, right? He's like, hey, we got something, but I don't know if it's going to be enough. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down, and about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. Okay, this is my favorite part of the story because I, I feel like I'm that kid. Like, it's this young boy was probably out that day. Mom had a basket, sending it to dad, like your daddy been with Jesus all day. Go ahead, take these five loaves and two fish because he's a big eater, big, big eater. You know what I'm saying? Like, on your way, I grew up, I was the original Uber Eats in my family, right? So we had, my grandparents were pastors, and when food needed to be distributed, Eddie was like, they was like, hey, Eddie, go ahead, take these greens, take this cornbread, this chicken, now I'm down to Miss Mary's house, sick and shut in, this is your job, right? I can imagine that this young man is walking across the way with the five loaves and two fish, and he's uh, stopped. All of a sudden, the disciples look at his basket and go, yo, we need the fish. Come on, somebody say, we need the fish. And he yells. Andrew yells, Jesus, we got something over here. And in that moment, Andrew begins to see the same obstacle that Philip did. And he asks the question, is this even enough for the need to be filled? I love that Jesus doesn't even entertain the question. He simply responds with instruction. Sometimes it's hard to receive instruction when we don't understand all of the details. 
Here's what I've learned, and I've heard it said, that obedience always comes before understanding. That sometimes when we tell God what we don't have, he'll tell you just what to do with it. And if we'll trust him, he'll bring more out of it than we can. I don't know if you hear me preach this morning, but I'm saying the same thing over and over again because we tend to forget really easily unless we've heard it six or seven times. And I want to tell you this morning, you've said no to God a whole lot in the supermarket when you're going down the aisle and you're watching that person and God's saying to you, hey, I need you to speak a word of encouragement to them, but you're on your way getting your groceries because you got to get back home because I got things to do. And I don't know that I'm of, I don't know if that I'm comfortable enough to let somebody know that the God of the universe is thinking about them. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? And Andrew is going, hey, I don't know if I've got enough. I don't know if to sit. And Jesus is like, I don't care. Go ahead, tell them to sit down. They got plenty of seats. As if to say, it doesn't matter what you think. If you think it isn't enough or not, just get it in my hands. Bring my keyboard player back out. I want to preach a little bit. When I was a child, growing up, when my mother would sing to us, there's a song that she would sing. And I don't know if you know, but if you know it, sing it with me. It goes like this. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. Come on. He's got the Come on. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the itty-bitty. Woo! Y'all went to church. Come on. Come on. I know y'all white, but y'all can sing. Listen. In his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. When he says, get it into my hands, he's talking about the hands that scripture says form the earth. It says he drew out the boundaries and told the oceans where to stop. It says that in the scriptures that these are the hands that out of, out of his hands, every living thing is satisfied. These are the hands that bore cross of Calvary and robbed death, hell, and the grave. It's the hands that hold your every situation together. It's the hands that cradles your life and holds it together when you feel like it's falling apart and when you come through the seats you go I don't know how I got through it it is only by what the hand of God Jesus says get it in my hands my question to you this morning is what is it that you think isn't enough for God to use in your life what is it that you have uh, that you're holding on to so tightly that you believe that the God of the universe who set the boundaries and the four corners of the earth could not do with your life? What is it that you believe? Maybe you've been crippled by shame, guilt, condemnation. It keeps you from believing that God can't use someone like you. Maybe you believe the lie that you're too old. Maybe you believe the lie that you're too young. Or maybe you're not smart enough. Maybe you believe the lie that you don't have the right clothes, the right car, the right cash, the right status, the right fill in the blanks, whatever you are. Whatever you think, it's a lie. I don't let you know you're in good company. I read through all of the scripture a lot. And when I see characters in scripture that God decides to use, I get enamored because I'm not as bad as them. If I'm comparing, you hear what I'm saying? Like Moses killed somebody, had a speech impediment, 
Gideon was a coward from the lowest class, from the lowest tribe, from the lowest group in his family. Peter was stubborn and angry. Noah was a drunk. Rahab was a prostitute. David wasn't the best father. He was an adulterer and a killer. Paul started out straight up killing people instead of killing believers. Sarah was too old, and I'm going to tell you this. Me and my entire family are absolutely crazy. Please tell me what's your excuse. Please tell me what's your excuse. Listen to me. God has more for your life. God has more for your life than we care to give him credit for. And usually, the more of what God has for us starts where our ability ends. Usually, the more that God wants to do starts in your greatest limitation. Scripture tells us, in your weakness, God says, my strength is actually perfected. Because it's not about you. It's about what I can do. The scripture tells us that where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. My grace is a superhuman strength on your life. That my grace is sufficient for you. That there's nothing that you'd accomplish or do or cannot do or cannot accomplish that will keep the hand of God from doing more with your life. Because it's not about you. It's about what he wants to do through you. It starts where our selfish ambitions end. And then he positions us with our inability to be a blessing to others. What is in your hands? Because what's in your hands, when put in the hands of God, is not only does it do something with your life and through your life, but other lives get changed. I've lived long enough in youth ministry to watch the lives of young people get totally ravaged. I've had young people that were in our youth ministry and even some of our personal friends that lived their life with no meaning. And in the time of the crisis of their world crumbling in, the better decision they thought would be to take their own life. Or try at least to take their own life. They've attempted believing that they had nothing to give to the world. That there wasn't more for them in this life. And this morning, I want to share with you that there is more life to live. There are things in your hands, and there's more to give to God because there's God wants to do more with the thing that you thought you could not do with it. But here's the kicker. God wants to reach out. God wants to share. God wants to show more. But here's what he needs to know is there's some people in the room that say, God, I'm willing, but all I have is my life. But God, if you promise that you would take this life, I would give it to you, and I would trust that in your hands, you could do more with it. That's it. That God, I'll be on mission, I'll be on assignment, but you have to do it because I know my own strength, I cannot. So God's question is, what's in your hand? What's actually in your hand that God can begin to ask for? And on the surface, you may not Think about it like this is something that you can give to God. But if you scratch beneath the surface, let me share you what that looks like. For some of you, it looks like your story. 
that you've gone through some things in your life and you've come out of some places in your life or maybe your story is, I've grown up in, my, in church my whole life and your story is God kept me so it can be done. That I can live a life, especially for young people to hear, that I can live a life of purity. I can live a life of, of being committed to the things of God. I can live my life not having to choose drugs or alcohol. I could live my life showing up to church regularly and giving. That's an incredible and powerful story. We limit stories to people who are on drugs, in which I'm not bagging you because your testimony is much needed because we're dealing with broken people. But your story is one of the greatest things in the hand of God that can be used to give God glory because testimony is saying this, God, if you could do it for me, I know you could do it for them. Or God, if you could do it for them, then you could do it for me. It's a testimony. What's your story? What are your gifts and your talents? I know because I've been to a lot of churches, there are some gifted and talented people in this church that you're sitting on your hands because you're afraid to put yourself out there because you don't want to be judged. But I'm here to release you this morning and let you know whatever is on your life, whatever gift, talent, or abilities that you might have been sitting on because you think there's no value in it, but I want to encourage you to let you know that of course it's not valuable in your hands because you've made it about yourself. But if you put it in the hands of God, he can expand that thing farther than you can go. Listen, I've seen crazy things happen. I've seen people who's used um, button making and it's gone absolutely viral and changed lives of communities because the people just said, this is all that I have. But when it's all that you have, that's all that God needs. I'm preaching this morning. Y'all ain't. Maybe for some of you, it's encouraging words. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's reestablishing generosity in your life. Maybe it's supporting your church. Maybe it's supporting missions. Other people who are out serving and giving their life, building schools and other nations. Maybe it's being a part of a community that builds something that goes, hey, there's needs in my community. I'm generous, and I want to be a part of making sure that our church Listen, this is what we say at our church. We don't give to church. We give through church because we want to reach our community for the kingdom of heaven. And so when I give, the thought isn't that, that I would just receive something back or I'm keeping the lights on in my church. No, I am effectively putting resource into the hand of the church to be the church in a world that desperately needs God. Do you hear me? Maybe it's your love and your compassion. For some of you, maybe you don't have resources. Maybe you're afraid to talk, but maybe you can give your time. Maybe you can give your time to spend time with somebody who's been forgotten. Maybe it's to sit in the presence of one and just let them talk in your presence. is like a, a, a healing salve or a delight to someone that has lost time because nobody wants to spend time with them. Maybe for you it doesn't feel like much, but in the hands of God, and all that you have, it could be more. What is it? And what if you're to put it in God's hand? As I come to a close, this is the end of the scripture. It says, is gather up the leftovers. Jesus talking to the disciples. After he had broken five loaves and fish, he says to them, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing would be lost. So they gathered them up. They filled 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves, which are left over by those who had eaten. And therefore, when the people saw the signs which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. I'll share this. What doesn't seem like much in your hand, listen, what doesn't seem like much in your hand, 
becomes a means of multiplication to meet the many needs in God's hands. What's small in your hands, placed in the hands of God, becomes a means of multiplication to meet multiple needs that what you thought could only meet one need in the hand of God can meet many needs. That if you're willing to be obedient with the little that you have and to put it in the hands of a great God, he can meet great needs. If only you'd be willing. Would seem average and ordinary, not enough or useless in your hands when place in the hands of Jesus becomes the means to satisfy those who are hungry, becomes a means to satisfying those who are hungry for a touch from God. If you'll get what's in your hands into the hands of God, you begin to partner with him in the miracle of seeing other lives being changed and that you will have not an earthly means of pouring in, but you will have an eternal means of planting seed that will change people's lives and their destinies and possibly all of their family. That the little that you're willing to give becomes a major impact for God's kingdom because you simply said, Jesus, this is all that I have. But all that I have, I can't do much with it. So I'll willingly place it in your hands and ask God, will you do something with it? Because I want to partner with what you want to do in this generation, in this city, and in this nation. Will you stand with me this morning? Will you stand with me this morning? I ask these questions again. Jesus is simply asking, what's in your hand? What are you willing to trust me with? Says Jesus. What is it that I can use on the inside of your hand to feed a hungry and helpless world? God's question to you this morning isn't how much what you're incapable of, what you feel like you can't do. His question is simply this. Will you simply trust me with whatever it is that's in your hand? Will you trust that in my hands, I'll do more with it? This morning, the first thing I wanna offer to you, for those of you who've never placed your life in the hands of God, that you showed up this morning and the worship was crazy and they got two big old black dudes running around. And you said to yourself, I don't know what this is, but there's something about this place. And I feel like there's a nudging on my heart and that he talked about giving something over into the hands of God, but I don't even have a relationship with this God. And I want to share with you this morning that there's a God who loves you deeply. And before we give any of our gifts, talents, imaginations, or anything over to his hand, the first thing that he asks of us is to give our life to him because he first gave his life for us. That he's the ultimate example of love because love drove him crazy enough to come to earth, to live as human, the thing that he created, to live a perfect life, to die on a cross, to be buried in a tomb, but on the third day to rise, proving that he was God because he wanted relationship with you. The scripture tells us why we yet hated God, he gave us life. You probably heard this because you should grow up in, in the South. You've probably been in VBS. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed him would not perish but have eternal 
life because he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might receive salvation. This morning, I offer you salvation from the hand of God. That he would welcome you into relationship. That the things that you've carried in your story, the hurts that you've had and the sin that you've lived in, that we've missed the mark or we've fallen short of the standard of what God has set in place. We live with our own sin. And the scripture tells us the wages of sin is death. But because of God and his goodness, because he wanted relationship with you, he gave himself on your behalf for the penalty you carried for sin. And he gave himself, he died so that you wouldn't have to carry that, but that you would pick up eternal life. Scripture tells us he's come that we might have life and life to the fullest, that we can have a full life. It's not that we wouldn't have issues, that we wouldn't have problems, but that in the midst of them, you'd have a God who could carry you in his hands. So this morning, if you're here, Will you do this for me? Every head bow, every eye closed. I want to offer an opportunity for you to receive salvation. Salvation simply means that you receive the gift of grace and you make Jesus the Lord of your life. And it says all we have to do is believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died, was buried, and rose again on the third day, and that he will return again someday. If that's you this morning, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or maybe you've walked away and you just happened to show up church because, you know, why not? Well, God has made an appointment for you to make a decision this morning to put your life in his hands. And on account of, I just want you to raise your hand if you say, I want to commit my life to Jesus or recommit my life to Jesus, put my life back in his hands. Will you just lift your hands? One, two, three. That's you. Amen. So many hands. Would you do me a favor, family? Will you pray this prayer along with us? so that they would not feel alone, that they would know that they'd have a family now that's walking with them. Will you pray this prayer? Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I've fallen short of your standard. Today, I repent of my sins and I turn away from them and I will change my mind about those things. And I ask right now that you would give me that grace that you would forgive me of those sins. And I receive you as my Savior. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that he was the Son of God who came to earth, lived a perfect life, died, was buried in a tomb, and on the third day rose. And that he ascended to heaven and one day will return. And I pray that I'd be ready. So fill me with your heart. Fill me with your love. Show me how to trust you and show me how to walk with you. Thank you for this family. I pray that you surround me with the right people so that I can learn to trust you even more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's make some noise for those who made a decision this morning. Let's follow Jesus. For the second call this morning, if I can invite, is this appropriate that you invite your prayer team forward? Um, if the prayer team would come to come forward, because this is what I would love to do for those of you who in the room that say, there's some things in my hands that I didn't think much of, but because of the call that you made this morning, Pastor Eddie, I would like to get back in the fight. I would like to begin to use the things that I have in my hands that I think 
did not think that they were enough. I want to use them again for God's glory, for his kingdom. I want to take them and put them in his hand so that he could do more with my life than I ever could with my own life. I want to retire my hold on those things and I want to put them in the hands of God so that he can take ownership and lordship of those and use them any way he likes. Tonight, this morning, the call is to surrender whatever's in your hand into the hands of God so that he could do more with it than you could ask, think, or imagine. Let me pray. And after I'm done praying, the altars are open for someone to pray with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this family. I thank you for this church. I thank you that they're passionate about who you are. And I thank you that you're calling deeper to much more. And I pray this morning for those in this morning, for those in this auditorium this morning that heard the, the my voice and, and they responded in their hearts saying, God, there are some things that I've not given over to you that you do so much more with. I pray this morning that you move on them and that you begin to give them ideas and begin to resource their heart of the things that they've held on to that they did not think were worthy, but in your hand could do so much more that you would highlight those so that this church would become a force for good for the kingdom of heaven and for the benefit of the city. I pray that you'd release it to them, that they would release it to you, and they would live with passion and pursuit for the things of God. In Jesus' name we pray we all say amen. Bless you and thank you. The altars are open and whenever they decide, you, they'll be dismissed. And so thank you again for letting me be with you this morning. The altars are open. Amen.